Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. It was a cold winter's day on January 21st, 1987. As the early morning mist was beginning to dissipate, three men were walking underneath Walker Bridge alongside the Union Canal in Edinburgh. The waterway runs from Falkirk to Edinburgh and has done so since 1822. It had been a particularly bitter winter, and the ice in the canal was just beginning to thaw. As the men strolled by the waterway, they spotted something floating in the murky canal. It appeared to be bobbing up and down with the flow of the water, but it was not gathering any traction. The men got closer to inspect the unfamiliar object. They could see that it was something wrapped up inside a piece of carpet. There appeared to be fluid leaking from it. The three men managed to pull the object over to the bank of the canal and were horrified to see a human foot protruding from the end of the carpet. Welcome to They Walk Among Us a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is the 25th in a series of bonus episodes. 
police were called to the scene and carefully unwrapped the carpet. Inside there was the naked body of a young woman. The remains were in an advanced state of decomposition, but officers observed a rope wrapped tightly around the woman's neck. Her hands and feet were also bound together. Word of the gruesome discovery quickly spread across Edinburgh. Graham Ballantyne was in a garage at the time. As he waited for the mechanic to finish work on his car, he overheard some men talking about a woman's body being discovered in a canal. Graham's heart sank to the pit of his stomach. For the past two months, his 20-year-old daughter had been missing. Anne Ballantyne was born to young parents Isabel and Graham Ballantyne in 1967. Isabel was only 18 years old when she gave birth to Anne, and while they were mother and daughter, they felt more like sisters due to their closeness in age. The blossoming family grew, and Anne loved nothing more than being a big sister to her brother Alan and sister Grace. Growing up, Anne attended Edinburgh's Trinity Academy and was known to be a happy-go-lucky child. Shortly after Anne's 20th birthday, she moved out of the family home and into her own flat on Yemen Place off Dolry Road. Anne had a compassionate nature, volunteering at the Canongate Youth Project and assisting children with disabilities. While unemployed, Anne had been searching for a job and was optimistic about her future. She did not have much materially speaking, but was surrounded by the love of her family and friends. Anne had dreams of settling down one day and starting a family of her own. She adored children, and Isabel knew that Anne would make a fantastic mother. In between looking for jobs and volunteering, Anne had a wide circle of friends to keep her busy. A lot of these friends were in the Edinburgh biker crowd. Anne had always been a huge heavy metal fan, knowing all of the lyrics to the most popular songs at the time. She could hardly contain her excitement when she learned that Alice Cooper was coming to play a gig in Edinburgh and made sure to be one of the first in line to get a ticket after saving up enough money. She also stayed in close contact with several of her classmates from Trinity Academy. On the weekends, Anne enjoyed meeting up with her friends at the local bars and clubs. Her favourite haunt was the venue on Carlton Road. Some weekends, bands would play, and Anne was always the first on the dance floor. After hearing about the body found floating in the canal, Graham Ballantyne rushed home to his wife, Isabel. He told her about what he had overheard. Edinburgh Canal was around 100 yards away from Anne's flat on Yemen Place. 
It wasn't long until there was a knock at the Ballantine's front door, a visit they had been dreading. It was the police. The officers had sombre expressions as they asked if they could come in. Graham and Isabel Ballantyne clutched on to one another tightly as they were informed that the body in the canal was most likely their daughter. Isabel crumpled to the ground and let out a guttural cry. The police had trawled through missing person reports and found Anne's details. She matched the description of the woman found in the water. Her body was in such an advanced state of decomposition that a positive identification needed to be made via dental records and a distinct scar on Anne's forehead. She had been asphyxiated by the ligature wrapped tightly around her neck. The first point of call in the investigation was for the police to try and establish Anne Ballantyne's last known movements. The final time her mother Isabel saw her daughter was on November 18, 1986. That afternoon Anne was visiting a friend at the Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. Before returning home, Anne popped in to see her parents. She seemed to be her usual cheerful and upbeat self. Nothing appeared to be out of the ordinary as Anne and her parents chatted about their Christmas plans. During the conversation, it was decided Anne was going to stay overnight on Christmas Eve so the family could be together first thing in the morning. Over the next few days... There were sporadic sightings of Anne across Edinburgh by various people who knew her. On November 23rd, Isabel and Graham Ballantyne were at home when there was a knock at the front door. It was an unplanned visit from one of Anne's friends. The friend informed the Ballantynes that she had made arrangements with Anne, but the 20-year-old had yet to show up. This was entirely out of character, as Anne was always reliable. It was incredibly unlikely she would not show up for a prearranged meeting unless something was wrong. Isabel and Graham got into their car and drove over to Anne's flat. They knocked on the front door, but nobody answered. Peering through the windows... They could not see their daughter inside. They assumed that she must have been off with a friend or was socialising at one of her usual hangouts. Isabel and Graham returned home and over the next couple of weeks they tried to make contact. Every few days they travelled to Anne's flat, again knocking on the front door and peering through the windows. Nothing appeared to have changed. There was no evidence she had been home since the last time they looked. Even so, Isabel and Graham called out to Anne through the letterbox and posted letters, urging Anne to get in touch. They knew Anne was struggling financially and wondered whether she could not afford to call them or pop in. 
later speaking to a reporter for the News of the World, Isabel Ballantyne said. We kept going up to her flat and putting notes and money through the door. We carried on as normal because we thought she'd had a row with her boyfriend and maybe had gone to stay with a friend. As the weeks passed, Isabel and Graham became increasingly concerned for their daughter. It was like she had disappeared into thin air. They knew Anne was an independent spirit, and they did not expect to see or hear from her every day. But still, it was not like Anne to remain out of contact for this long. Their concerns grew when Anne never showed up at her parents' home over the Christmas period as they had previously arranged. The family had gone ahead and planned Christmas, assuming that Anne would arrive and apologise for being out of touch, offering some excuse as to why she could not make contact. Christmas was a big occasion in the Ballantyne household and Anne's presents were neatly wrapped and placed under the Christmas tree in the hope that she would show up. On Christmas Eve, Graham and Isabel patiently waited by the front door for their daughter, but Anne never arrived. Isabel and Graham tried to keep the mood light for the sake of their younger son and daughter, but they could not shake the feeling that Anne was in danger. The festive season passed in a blur, and Anne's gifts sat unopened under the tree as her parents did their utmost to keep things as normal as possible for their two other children, Grace and Alan. Early the next morning, Graham Ballantyne drove to Edinburgh Police Station to report his eldest daughter missing. It became apparent that Anne Ballantyne had no reason to leave without saying a word. She was enthusiastically planning Christmas the last time she saw her parents. It seemed unlikely the young woman had just disappeared of her own volition, so a murder investigation was launched, headed by Detective Superintendent Chris Reed. A special incident room was set up, and the investigation got underway by the Lothian and Borders Police. At first, officers entered Anne's flat and searched for any evidence that could lead them to Anne or indicate what had happened to her. There were no signs of forced entry, nor was there any evidence of a struggle. This suggested two things. Either Anne was not attacked in her flat, or her killer had cleaned up the scene and locked the door behind them. Detective Superintendent Reed asked Isabel and Graham Ballantyne to look through Anne's possessions to see if anything was missing. They were able to determine several items were not in their usual place and could not be found elsewhere in the flat. This included a black leather jerkin, a brass petrol lighter with Anne's initials engraved on the front, a photo album, a camera, and a black shoulder bag. They were all items someone would take with them for a day or night out. 
that or personal items that a killer could choose to steal as a memento. Everything else in the flat appeared to be in order. It was as if Anne had left and planned on returning later, but she never came home. The police then turned their attention to Anne's wide circle of friends, hoping that routine interviews could lead them to a suspect. It was discovered that Anne had recently broken up with her fiancé, Joe Burden. Joe was brought to the police station to be questioned and explained that he and Anne had ended their relationship, but they were on good terms. There was little evidence connecting him to Anne's disappearance. Lothian and Borders police struggled to find a person of interest in the case. All of Anne's friends said she had no enemies. They could not think of anybody who would want to bring her to harm. By all accounts, Anne was a happy, vivacious woman, excited to begin a new independent chapter in her life. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Centair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Centair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Centair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand, and now Centair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Centair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Centair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Centair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safe for families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. 
Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to scentair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at scentair.com. With no suspects, the police were stumped. Their investigation was further hampered following Anne Ballantyne's post-mortem. It was estimated that Anne had been dead for around two months, but she had only been placed in the canal around two days before her body was found. This led to the belief that Anne's killer had stored her body somewhere before finally disposing of the remains in the canal. There was also speculation that Anne had been raped, but due to the state of decomposition, it could never be conclusively determined. The state of Anne's remains also robbed Graham and Isabel Ballantyne of seeing their daughter one last time before she was buried at Morton Hall Cemetery. The family had not been able to choose where their daughter was interred, as Morton Hall Cemetery was the only place in the area where the police had the right to later exhume remains. Not too long before Anne was killed, she had been watching a horror movie with her parents. During one particular scene, she commented, Mum, don't bury me. I couldn't stand all those beasties crawling about me. Unfortunately, Anne never got her final wish. With the killer remaining elusive, Anne's family could not cremate her remains in case her body needed to be exhumed. Isabel later said to a reporter for the Daily Record, Most people get to see the body or kiss the body if they want to. We never got that chance. The body was so decomposed. We never got to say goodbye. Interviews with those who knew Anne were leading nowhere, so the police turned to the canal in search of clues. Scuba divers scanned the length of the waterway, but turned up nothing. Officers scoured the area surrounding the canal as the police conducted a fingertip search. It was then some photographs were found scattered on a footpath near where Anne's body had been floating wrapped in carpet. What exactly was pictured has never been publicly disclosed. There were some disturbing aspects of the murder, from the binding and the fact that Anne's body had been stored somewhere for so long, to the fact that a number of her personal effects were missing. This led to rumours running rampant throughout the city. Some feared that Anne Ballantyne was the victim of a serial killer, a killer who had a particular modus operandi and who could potentially strike again at any moment. As the police continued their investigation, there was an air of unease in the community. In an attempt to generate some much-needed leads, in February 1987, a new appeal for information was launched. They printed hundreds of posters with Anne Ballantyne's face emblazoned on the front, 
and put them up in local bars and clubs where Anne was known to go. However, with seemingly nowhere to turn, the case gradually went cold. The police refused to give up on Anne Ballantyne, even with the passage of time. In 2007, the case was reopened by Bert Swanson, who was then the head of the Lothian and Borders Cold Case Unit. Detective Swanson had worked for Lothian and Borders Police since 1972, before retiring in 2006. He was then drafted in to work on the unit, reinvestigating cases dating back to 1966. His team had looked at the 1995 murder of Robert Higgins and the 1991 disappearance of Vicky Hamilton. Now the unit turned their attention to Anne Ballantyne. Between him and the two other detectives in his team, they had over 88 years of experience. Part of the reinvestigation included contacting all of the people questioned during the original inquiry. At the time, Detective Swanson said, This is a pretty harrowing case. I really, really feel for this family as they have clearly not had the justice they deserve. The cold case unit appealed to the public for information regarding the missing items from Anne's flat. All of the evidence in Anne's case was re-examined using modern policing methods and updated DNA technology and forensic techniques. Sadly, the reinvestigation was set back by the fact that much of the original evidence, including the carpet that Anne was found wrapped in, had deteriorated over time. Furthermore, due to the condition of Anne's body, there was not enough usable DNA. While modern science meant that old DNA samples and evidence could yield crucial breakthroughs years later, this was not the case for Anne Ballantyne. Four years later, the murder case was looked at once more by the cold case unit. They again appealed to the public for information, asking if anybody knew anything about the case they could come forward in complete anonymity. Detective Chief Inspector Gary Flanagan said to the Evening News, Lothian and Borders Police do not close unsolved murder cases. The force carries out regular reviews to find out if any new evidence or advances in technology can assist in bringing those responsible to justice. Any new information received is always thoroughly investigated. Unfortunately, no new leads were received from the appeal. The case was reinvestigated again in 2014, but no further insight was gathered. Speaking to a reporter for the Scottish Daily Mail, Detective Inspector Rory Hamilton said, No new evidence or information to take the investigation forward was identified. We will continue to keep this inquiry open 
and any new evidence or information will be appropriately investigated should it be brought to our attention. In 2019, a new suspect was put forward by retired police intelligence officer Chris Clark. Clark strongly believed that 62-year-old John Taylor should be looked into. In 2000, Taylor murdered 16-year-old Leanne Tiernan in Bramley, West Yorkshire, and was currently serving a life sentence for that killing and for a series of sexual attacks. Leanne was last seen alive on November 26, 2000. That afternoon, she had gone shopping in Leeds with a friend. She was returning to her home in Bramley when she stepped off the bus, however was never seen alive by her loved ones again. The walk from the bus stop to Leanne's home was only 200 yards. A massive search for Leanne ensued as a West Yorkshire police helicopter hovered overhead, scanning the ground for the missing teenager. Police officers retraced the route Leanne would normally take when walking home, clearing all the drains en route. They examined a four-mile stretch of the Leeds and Liverpool Canal and searched hundreds of sheds and garages in the area as well as thousands of houses and commercial buildings. At the time, her mother, Sharon Hawkhead, pleaded for her daughter's safe return on national television. It's totally out of character. She has never been missing before, Sharon said. Leanne is just a normal teenager. Last time I saw her, she was fine. She was happy. Over the course of the next nine months, there was only one person who knew precisely where Leanne was. John Taylor. As Leanne walked home along a woodland path, Taylor grabbed her blindfolded her and forced her into his home, which was only minutes away from where she had lived with her family. Leanne was then sexually assaulted and strangled to death with a ligature. Her body would not be found until nine months later when a man in Lindley Woods was walking his dog and came across her body. Woods were around 16 miles from Leanne's home. After killing her, Taylor wrapped up Leanne's body in plastic bags and bound her hands with plastic cables. He had also placed a dog collar around her neck. Leanne's postmortem showed that her body had been stored in a freezer between three weeks and nine months before her remains were disposed of. John Taylor was arrested in October 2001. The following year, he pleaded guilty to Leanne Tiernan's kidnap and murder and received two life sentences. After Taylor was convicted, he returned to court 17 years later and pleaded guilty to 16 further offences. These offences were committed against five victims and spanned over three decades.
John Taylor had worked as a parcel delivery driver. In 1986, he would have been passing Edinburgh on his route. He was also known to frequent sex workers in the Glasgow area at the time, and a particular brothel he visited in Edinburgh would have brought him within 400 yards of Anne Ballantyne's flat. There were several similarities between the two murder cases. The bodies of Leanne Tin and Andan Ballantyne had been kept somewhere for a prolonged period of time. They had both been strangled with a ligature, their bodies had been wrapped in a covering, and they had both been bound by the hands and feet. With John Taylor behind bars, the police shared their belief that he may have been responsible for other unsolved murders including the 1992 murder of Yvonne Fitt, a sex worker from Bradford. Anne Ballantyne's family welcomed the new theory and requested that it be investigated, with her brother Alan telling the Edinburgh News, We want justice, and that's pretty much it. If it turns out it was him, then we want it pursued and we want justice for my sister and my mum's daughter. So where are we now? The 35th anniversary of Anne Ballantyne's murder rolled around in January 2022. There was a renewed appeal for information, but nothing was submitted that carried any evidential value. Anne's parents, Isabel and Graham, have said for years that they know who Anne's killer is. Unfortunately, due to legal reasons, they are not allowed to say. Graham Ballantyne once commented, We have a picture of him. He did not know the picture was being taken. He was sitting with our Anne at a family function. He had this expression on his face. I will never forget it. He looked pure evil. Graham further suggested to a reporter for the Edinburgh News that Anne was killed in a jealousy-fueled rage by a man who felt that if he could not have her, then no one else could. The unidentified man was thoroughly investigated during the original investigation and sporadically throughout the years. In 2008, a report on him was sent to the Procurator Fiscal in the hopes that it could lead to charges being filed. However, it was determined that there was not enough evidence against the suspect to warrant an arrest. Anne's brother Alan said the decision was like a dagger in the heart for the family. The fact that the case went unsolved had Isabel questioning her faith she said to a correspondent for the Edinburgh Evening News, If there's a God, then why did he let this happen? Anne didn't do any harm to anyone. She didn't deserve what happened to her. And we didn't do anything to deserve it either. This is like some awful punishment. But for what? To cope with the loss of her daughter, Isabel began to head the Edinburgh branch of the support group SAM, support after murder and manslaughter. 
The group was established in 1988 and boasts of over 4,000 members. Isabel was instrumental in launching the group's Scottish presence. She once said that the work helps her to continue with her life and find solace with the only people that can truly understand her grief. She stated, You learn to live with it. Otherwise, you'd go mad. Over the years, the family tried to keep Anne's memory alive. When her sister Grace married in 2008, Isabel placed one of Anne's rings and one of her late grandmother's rings on a chain. Grace wore the necklace as she said her vows. Isabel and Graham keep a picture of their daughter above the fireplace in their home in Edinburgh. It stands as a sombre reminder of what was taken from them, as well as a beacon of hope that one day, justice would prevail. Isabel once said, There's still a big hole in our lives. I think about her every day, and I think about what could have been, what should have been. We've all been denied so much. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.